got a subject title today, and that is this, Who is this man? Everybody say, Who is this man? And poke your neighbor and say, Who is this man? If you will, stand to, the, to your feet for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to go to John chapter 1. Again, if you have version, you can pull up your version notes on your phone. You can make notes as you go. You can refer back to it and so forth. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and then we're going to hit verse 14. Who is this man? John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 in the New American Standard Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everybody say the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, very famous, if you've been in church long at all. The Bible says, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, that's speaking of Jesus, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence in your word. I pray, Father God, for the next few moments, God, that you would anoint me to speak forth your word, not word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I pray, Father, let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, God, that you speak to us, God. I pray, Father God, let this word explode in us, Father, and let us answer the question for ourselves, who is this man? I pray, Father God, that your mighty hand be with us now. God, we bless Israel as in Jerusalem as you commanded us to. We pray you bring revival to our country that desperately needs it. We pray, God, for the people around the world that you would meet the needs. And, God, that you would reveal yourself in all your glory. And we will lift you up today, God. And you said you would draw all men nigh unto thee. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have. And let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace... I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody next to you if they have a green bracelet on. If they don't, give them an air high five. And tell them it's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Yeah. Everybody just say it's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Praise God, praise God. A number of years ago, a man was uh, walking along the edge of a... North Carolina stream bed and pulled out a big rock and set it as a doorstop for his cabin. Many years after that, a geologist came walking by and saw the cabin and saw the rock sitting there holding the door open and went over to the rock and discovered it was a big lump of gold. As a matter of fact, it was one of the largest nuggets of gold ever found east of the Colorado Rockies. Like the man who failed to recognize gold when he held it in his hands, the disciples, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the entire known world of its time failed to recognize the true nature of Jesus, even after more than 33 years being with him. My question to you today is this, what about you? 
Who is this man? Do you know who he is? And that leads me to point number one, and that is this. Who is Jesus? Everybody say, who is Jesus? Concerning Jesus Christ for roughly 2,000 years, men, women, and children have asked the question, who is this man? In Mark chapter 2, Jesus was teaching a group of people in a house. And as he did, a small group of men tried to figure a way to see if they could get their friend healed, their paralytic friend healed. They had heard that Jesus healed the sick. They had heard that he did miracles. So they traveled to the home in an effort to hopefully get Jesus to touch their friend and heal him. The room was very crowded as Jesus was surrounded by religious Pharisees and Sadducees and people. So full was this room that they couldn't get in to enter. In fact, the people spilled out into the yard and the areas around. But these men had come too far. They had brought their friend too far to give up now. And so they go up on the guy's house. They rip open a hole in the roof. And they lower the man down into the crowded room expecting Jesus to heal him. And they heard something prior to him healing him that took everybody in that room by surprise. In Luke 5, 20, the parallel story, it says, Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees began asking the question in verse 21, Luke 5, 21, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? But they began asking the question then, at one of his first miracles, who is this man? Who is this man? The Pharisees asked the question then. Men, women, and children for 2,000 years have asked that question since. Who is this man? Jesus is found in the Islam books. The Quran is found in Hinduism. He's found all through, each with his own idea of who Jesus Christ is. Fast forward to Luke chapter 7, and you have another real crowded room with disciples and some Pharisees, and in comes this woman who's known, the Bible says, was a sinner. And when you study that out, you find she was a notorious sinner. Putting it plainly, she was the town prostitute. Everybody in town knew what she did. Everybody in town knew who she was. While Jesus is reclining at the table, she creeps up behind him and begins to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, dry them with her hair. Then she takes a very expensive bottle of alabaster box of ointment, which was worth about a year's worth of wages, and she begins to dump it on him in preparation of his burial. And in this process, Jesus looks to her and those around and somewhat surprising he says to her in Luke 7, 48, he says to her, your sins have been forgiven. Yet again, he's dealing with sins. The shock of this statement led the religious leaders and the elite to ask the question that many people are still asking today in the very next verse. Luke 7, 49, who is this man that even forgives sin? As Jesus continued his ministry of teaching, healing, and forgiving sins, he began to attract the attention of a king called Herod Antipas, who was a puppet ruler for Rome. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 7 through 9, now Herod basically says, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. 
Herod repeated the question that had been sweeping the country and sweeping the nation and has swept the entire world for the last 2,000 years. Who is this man? They asked it then. They asked it 500 years ago. And they're still asking today. Who is this man? Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, after a long day of teaching, Jesus told the disciples, I want to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He took a pillow and he laid down and he went to sleep. A storm blew in and the disciples thought they were going to die. The winds were blowing contrary. The boat was filling with water and they woke him up and they said, Master, wake up. Don't you care that we're dying? He woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves. In fact, he said, peace be still. Basically put a muzzle on it if you read it in the Greek. And the Bible says that the storm instantly stopped. They were so afraid of what happened. They were so so bewildered by this. They were so confused. They were trembling with fear. That the disciples asked the question in Mark chapter 4 verse 41. Who is this Man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. I want to tell you, it wasn't just the people who didn't know Jesus asking who he was. It wasn't just the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees asking who it was. It was his own disciples that walked with him, talked with him, healed with him, did everything with him. They were so amazed at the things that Jesus did that even those closest to him asked the question, Who is this man? I'm going somewhere with this. In Luke chapter 4, he grew up in Nazareth. And Nazareth was a very small town. Everybody knew everybody. In fact, in Luke 2.52, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. Jesus, as a child and a young man, had grown to gain the respect of the community. The people knew who he was. They respected him as a man of God. They walked, they knew, man, that's Jesus, the carpenter's son. We know he's a man of God. We know he does things right. They understood, the Bible's very clear, that they knew exactly who he was and the kind of man he was. In fact, in Luke 2, 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He evidently had an excellent extraordinary ability of handling scripture and understanding theology. So this is a community, a very small town that knew Jesus very well. Everybody say they knew him. One day though he shows up. This is this one the Bible says this in Luke 2. This is his early teenage years. But by the age of 30 he comes back from the from the Jordan River baptized with the Holy Ghost and he shows up one day and after a long absence They had heard the rumors of his claims. They had heard the rumors of the miracles. They had heard all the rumors and everything to go about this Jesus of Nazareth. But even people who knew Jesus the best were heard to ask the question, Who is this man? In the parallel passage in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, listen to how it goes. He went away from there and came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? These are people that knew him. They said, what is this wisdom given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? 
And Arna's sisters here with us said they were offended at him. They began to ask the question, we know this guy. Where does his power come from? We know this guy. Who in the world does he think he is? We know this guy. How is he doing these miracles? I know this guy. He built my dinner table. I'm sitting in his chair. Who in the world is this guy? I can imagine one of them sitting there, wait a minute, wait a minute. I played hopscotch with this guy as a kid. I went to grade school with him. We played jacks together. We jumped rope together or whatever games they had back then. Who in the world does he think he is? Who is this man? I find it interesting that those that knew him best, those that were closest to him, he was so amazing. He was so confusing to them. He was so mysterious to them that even they had to ask the question that we have to ask today. Who is this man? Everybody shout it out. Say, who is this man? They asked the age-old question that many of us still ask today, and that is, who is this man? In John chapter 2, verse 23, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. Nicodemus, a man that's listed in John chapter 3, undoubtedly was one of these observers. In fact, he was a member of what might be considered the Jewish Supreme Court of his day. He was a Pharisee, which means that he belonged to a philosophical and political party that strictly followed the Old Testament law to a T. 613 rules and regulations. He was a conservative scholar. Nicodemus was a civic leader. He was a religious expert and as good a man as you would find in his day. We are talking about a great guy here. He was a temple leader. He was a promised Jewish citizen. He, was, he watched this young 30-some miracle worker take the Hebrew religious capital of Jerusalem by storm. Imagine the things that he heard and imagine the things that he saw. Here's a man that has grown up and never seen any miracles. He's not seen anything to the likes of what he has seen Jesus do. Now all of a sudden, he heard the blind say, I can see. He saw the lame get up, throw their bed over their shoulder, and run with joy. He heard the deaf ear, and the deaf shout out, I can hear. He saw lepers take off their bandages and find skin like baby fine skin. He saw dead people come out of the grave and walk. He saw things happen that he'd never seen in his life. And the longer Nicodemus watched, the more he became convinced that Jesus was no charlatan. In John chapter 3 verse 1, Nicodemus was listed as being a member of the Jewish ruling council. Why is that important? The Jews were ruled by a religious assembly of 70 men called the Sanhedrin. This body governed much like a Congress or Parliament and a Supreme Court all in one. It would be like our Congress and Supreme Court all being in one group of people. In other words, they made laws, they held trials, they gave judgments, they governed the country. One man writes about Nicodemus like this. So far as we know, Jesus never encountered a more prestigious, a more knowledgeable, or a refined representative of Judaism than Nicodemus. As a result, Nicodemus didn't want the general public or the other 69 members of the Sanhedrin to know that he wanted to know 
who Jesus was. So the Bible says he came to him at night. And Nicodemus began to ask questions to basically answer the gnawing question burning on the inside of him and everyone else. And that was, who is this man? In John chapter 3 verse 10 in their conversation, Jesus answered and says to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? In the Greek it reads, the teacher of Israel, not a teacher of Israel. In John 3.10 in the NIV it says, you are Israel's teacher. What does that mean? That This suggests that Nicodemus wasn't just one of the 70 Sanhedrin that taught along the way. He was the Mac Daddy teacher of Israel. The most prestigious, the most knowledgeable, the most astute religious Pharisee of his day went at night and said, Jesus, who are you? In other words, he wasn't a narrow-minded religious bully. He was very astute, very articulate, very committed to what he believed. But yet he still had to have the question answered inside of him, who is this man? Whether viewed face to face or throughout the lens of history, the question remains for you and I and every human being that we must answer, who is this man? And that leads me to point two, and that is this. Who do you say that Jesus is? Everybody say that with me. Who do you say that Jesus is? Come on, say it loud. Who do you say that Jesus is? Come on, poke your neighbor and say, hey, who do you say that Jesus is? As Jesus ended, came to an end of his earthly ministry towards the end, questions about who this man was reached a climax. So he began to ask his own disciples. This is after three years walking with Jesus. This is after three years of doing miracles with him. This is after three years of seeing him raise the dead. Open the blind eye and the deaf ear. This is three years of seeing miracles. That the Bible says in John, if you wrote everyone down, there wouldn't be enough books to contain the whole world. In Matthew 16, 13, Jesus, after three years walking with his disciples, after doing these things, he asked them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, they started saying, well, a prophet of this or that. Then I love Jesus. He puts them on the spot, and Jesus is putting you and I on the spot today. He looks at them 2,000 years ago and he looks at us from the heavens today right now. And he says in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? The you in this question is plural. Jesus was asking all the disciples, who do you think that I am? And he's asking you and I today, who am I to you? Who do you say that I am in your life? As the group squirmed and as they were paralyzed with fear, Simon Peter finally spoke up and he answered the roughly three-year-old burning question in all of them with, who is this man? And here's what he said, Matthew 16, 16. You are the Christ. Woo! Somebody shout amen. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. The Hebrew word term is Mashiach, 
which where we get from the word Messiah. Or they both mean the anointed one. They both mean the Messiah. They both mean the Savior of the world. I love that. But Simon Peter didn't just stop there. He went on to further answer the question in Matthew 16, 16, when he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I love it. Woo! See, Jesus, man, he, he knew exactly who what Jesus was to him. In the Hebrew language, this is important, when he called him the son of the living God, in the Hebrew language, to be a son was to share in all the father's qualities in common and to inherit the father's privileges and power. No one dared call himself the son of God because he'd be guilty of blasphemy, equating himself with God. Simon Peter risked it all when he said, you're the son of the living God. He could have been stoned to death for blasphemy if Jesus really wasn't. But something registered in him. Something went off in him. He said, I've been walking too long with this man. I've seen too much from this man. He's done too much in my life. There's something about him. He's not just your everyday prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a good man that lived in Galilee. No! He's the Christ, the Son of the living God! Woo! Somebody shout glory! <laughs> I said he's the son of the living God. For Peter to give him this title meant that he was recognizing him as his Messiah. Matthew 16, 17, Jesus answers and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Notice that Jesus never corrects Simon Peter, but says, Hey, God, my Father, has revealed this to you. I have a question for you today. How do you see Jesus in your life? Who is this man? I'll tell you who he is. He's God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's fully God. He's fully man. And thank God he died as a substitution for our sins and for us. And the great exchange we talked about last week. Because he is fully God. He is fully man. He's on both sides. He's fully in, in both of them. Guess what? I want to tell you something. Because of that, we are saved today. John chapter 20 verse 31 says, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in His name. Somebody shout glory. Listen, I, I, I'm here to tell you something today. There is no middle ground. Some agree He existed. Some say He was a Galilean Jew who lived and taught and was killed for His beliefs and His teachings. But they reject that he is the son of God. They reject that he's the only begotten son. But why then were so many willing to follow him even to a martyr's death who walked with him? Why does he continue to profoundly impact the world? Think of men like Alexander the Great, Caesar Augustus, and Constantine. Men who conquered much of the known world. Think of Plato. Newton and Einstein, men who revolutionized the thinking of humankind. Think of all the musicians, composers, philosophers, builders, and leaders who impacted the world so positively. Other men have conquered more. Other men have written more and built more. But none have impacted the world more profoundly, more permanently, and for millions more personally than the carpenter from Nazareth. Woo! 
Somebody shout glory. Has he changed your life? If you try to separate Jesus from the supernatural, you are left with a history that makes less sense, not more. C.S. Lewis said it this way. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, speaking of Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let none of us come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and neither did he intend to. And I want to tell you just as Jesus put the disciples on the spot almost 2,000 years ago. Everyone listening online, everyone here in person, he is putting you on the spot today. Do you say that he is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God? Woo! Jesus was the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word existed. In John 1.1, we read earlier in our text. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was? Everybody say the word was God. Check this out. The Greek literally states it this way. In beginning was existing the word. Word comes from the Greek word logos. Everybody say logos which was hugely significant to all philosophers of Jesus' day. So it's very important you catch this. Logos, the Greek word, was first coined roughly 500 years before Jesus Christ, and it grew to become a universal religious principle. In Stoicism, Logos was equated with God. Philo, the philosopher, was influenced by the Old Testament and Hellenistic thought, and he taught that it meant the transcendent God. On the Greek side, he equates Logos both with God's plan and God's power of creation. So when John writes, the word was with God and the word was God, Logos being word all through there in the verse, he is pointing to something that existed before eternity passed, farther back than our finite minds can even conceive. In other words, John was saying, before the earth, before the planets and the stars, before light or darkness, before matter or time, in the beginning that never really had a beginning, the Logos, the word. Jesus was already existing he wasn't born he always was he preceded everything we see all the matter us the light matter everything he preceded all that he'll go on afterwards I want to tell you something he was and is and is to come literally in the Greek it reads the logos was with God and the logos was God but then a few verses down John says something truly remarkable in verse 14 he says and the word became flesh everybody say flesh That's Jesus. And dwelt among us. 
And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God became a man. What an incredible thought. The God of the universe who created everything chose to put himself in the form of a man. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says this. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, in visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. There is no greater than Jesus. Who is this man? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's both God, he's both man. Now you might be able to say that, but let me ask the final point, and that is this point number three. Who is Jesus to you? Now we're going to get very pointed. Who is Jesus to you? Poke your neighbor and say, who is Jesus to you? Come on, say it again. Who is Jesus to you? Come on, look to your other neighbor and say, who is Jesus to you? Come on, Sonny, just stand up and shout back to Dr. Lively and say, Who is Jesus to you? Who is this man to you? If you were lost in your sins this morning, he's your Savior. If you walked away from your relationship with Christ, he's married to the backslider today. If you need freedom from addiction, drugs, alcohol, sexual sins, lying, cheating, stealing, he is your deliverer. If you are sick or have some kind of disease, he is your healer. If you're in debt with no way out, he is your provision. If you have a terrible past, he's your restorer. If, you have a, if you're discouraged this morning, he is your encourager and the lifter up of your head. If you're hopeless this morning, woo, he is your hope. If something is dead in your life, he is your resurrection and he is your life today. If there is something dead, if you're in low places this morning, he is the lily of your valleys. If you're in darkness today, he is your bright and morning star. He is your savior. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Woo! Who is this man to you? Is Jesus the Son of God to you? Is Jesus your Savior? If you ask a Muslim, they'll tell you he's a great prophet. You ask all kind of religions. He was a great man, a great prophet, a great this, a great that. But if you ask a believer, they will tell you he is the savior of mankind. He is the son of the living God. For Acts 4.12 says, For there is no other name given among mankind whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus.
You see, it's not enough that you know about Jesus. It's not enough what you say about him. It's who he is in your life. You can know all about Jesus, and when you take your last breath, you can still split hell wide open. But if Jesus is your Savior and He lives inside of you and He's forgiven you of your sins, you will one day here enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I feel strongly that there is more than one. I feel in a sense in my spirit there are at least two people today that God is beckoning with you. You feel Him. Who is Jesus to you? Please don't think, well, I'll do another time. I'll have another opportunity. Many years ago at a revival service, the pastor called for those that wanted to be saved. And the cheerleader, the head cheerleader, told the captain of the football team at the service. She begged him, go down front. Give your life to Jesus. He said, I got time. I got time. Not right now. I'm enjoying my life too much. And that night... He got in a car accident and died. Who is Jesus to you? It's great that you're coming to church. But I want to tell you, you can go to church and still bust hell wide open. The only way into eternity with God is through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Will you surrender yourself to him? Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, As is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Look, you can, if you're watching me online, you can read your Bible every day, but until you accept Jesus Christ, you can still split hell wide open. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages or the payment of sin is death, spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The amazing thing is Romans chapter 5 and 8 says that God commends his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 9 of chapter 5 of Romans, it says that we are now justified by his blood. It's so simple. Romans 10, 9 says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10 and, and, and 13, that was, 10 and 9 says if you confess your sins, you are, if you confess your sins, you confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. So with no one looking around, who is Jesus to you? If you say, if he is Savior, and I want him to really be Savior in my life, right now, I want you to raise your hand and hold it high. I want to pray with you. Who are you? Where are you? I want to pray with you. I feel it. God love you. God bless you. I see that hand. I see both those hands. Is there anybody else? Please, no one looking around, but... Jessica, right where you're at in the back, would you would you pray with her? I, I, for her case, I, I want everybody just to just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, and let's just pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I confess you, Jesus, as my Messiah, as my Savior, <laughs> as the Christ. 
the son of the living God. I receive you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I repent of them, which means I turn away from them, and I turn to you. And now I thank you, Lord, for saving me. Woo! Woo! Praise you, Jesus. Can we give God praise? Hallelujah! Glory, glory, glory! We're going to have prayer time right now. If you're sick in body or you have some kind of illness or disease or diagnosed from a doctor, I want you to stand to your feet because he's your healer today. Stand to your feet if you'd like special prayer. If you're depressed, I, I felt very depressed all morning, very strange. I wasn't sure what was going on. And then the Lord revealed to me there's somebody coming that is suffering big time from depression in here. Who are you? I want you to stand up because God is going to fill you with peace. God is going to fill you with joy. Listen, there's somebody in here you are discouraged. You are so discouraged and feel so hopeless. God wants to give you hope. I want you to stand. I want you to stand, whoever you are. There's peace in here. There's somebody not been able to sleep right at night. And God wants to give you peace and help you sleep. Stand up if you will. All right, you see all these folks. I need some prayer warriors to dis dispatch right now. And go and lay hands and begin to pray with them. Whatever, ask them what their need is and just begin to pray. Come on, this is 100% participation here. I need everybody just stretching your hands forth towards people. If you need special prayer, I want you to stand if you will thank you Lord there's somebody near you've been saying I need a good friend I need a good friend who are you stand up we're going to pray we're going to pray for you whoever you are you need a friend I want you to stand whoever you are God wants to give God's going to send you a friend whoever it is stand up stand up we're going to pray with you come on church I want everybody just to pray <laughs> 